from NJ.com. This is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to the latest episode of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo, joined by my friend and colleague, Daryl Slater. And certainly, as we ring in 2020, a lot has changed around the Giants. And Daryl, you and I have tried multiple times through various technical difficulties to get our thoughts on the Joe Judge hire out into the ethosphere as the latest Giants head coach to no avail. We fixed the issues. We are back. And certainly, there's a lot to unpack about this hire, the staff, and where this team is headed moving forward. Yeah, no doubt. Certainly a lot more to talk about now than if we had done this uh, af- right after Joe Judge was hired um, and, and just kind of giving you guys some token impressions of what was, you know, a performance press conference, which is what those always are. He, he was fine, whatever. Uh, but uh, certainly a lot more to talk about going forward now that the staff has started started to be assembled. And uh, that's obviously going to be a big thing for Joe Judge. And we'll get into it because he's such an inexperienced coach. So the, the importance of the staff is going to be is going to be critical. No doubt about it. And certainly there's a lot of names floating out there with the offensive coordinator position, the biggest of which and the most uh, known of which being Jason Garrett, which I think you and I are in agreement would be, if not a home run hire, a great hire for the Giants. We'll get into that. We'll get into some of our uh, base level impressions of Joe Judge now that we've had time to kind of digest the hire and digest the press conference. Uh, But before we do that, of course, some housekeeping to take care of. We love if you would, if you enjoy the show to go into Apple uh, podcast store, give us those five-star reviews. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Tell us what kind of guests you would like us to try to get on it helps us grow the show and of course we'd love if you would subscribe there give us a like on youtube check us out on soundcloud spreaker stitcher youtube iHeartRadio, and all of your favorite podcast platforms and of course we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the giants extra tech service our subscription-based tech service it's $4.99 a month you can interact with daryl and i uh, one-on-one send us text messages ask us questions we're going to get to some of your questions later on in the podcast try to address those it really cuts out the clutter of twitter and social media and it gives us a chance to interact one-on-one with the fans and it's been a lot of fun so far yeah it's been good we have a few questions here that we'll get to that uh thanks for for those of you guys who sent them and that's how we answer questions on the podcast from the giants extra tech service so it's a good way to reach us and we'll interact with you on there through the tech service and then certainly while answering your questions here on the podcast yep so daryl let's start with joe judge just your initial reaction to the hire and first uh observations coming out of that press conference which for me sitting there in the front row next to you and zach rosenblatt our colleague it felt like I was sitting in the middle of a living room as a high school recruit hearing the sales pitch of why I should attend a major university. There were all the buzzwords, blue collar, physical football, tackling to the ground. This football team is going to represent the region for which we play. And it was all of the pomp and circumstance of a coronation that these things typically are. But I didn't get a real sense, and I still don't have a sense of what Joe Judge is going to be as a head coach or what this team is going to be as far as roster com- you know, composition and philosophies and all of those things. Yeah, I think it's always hard to get a sense of that from those press conferences. I mean, I don't I mean, maybe Joe someone should tell Joe Judge that like there aren't factories around here anymore. Most people have pretty white collar jobs. <laughs> I mean, people aren't like, you know, you know, working in textile mills in the New York City area anymore. Most people put on a collared shirt to go to work. Uh anyway, just having a little fun there. I mean, yeah, blue collar, I guess. Like there's it's really not that blue collar of a region quite frankly in terms of what the pr- most prominent jobs are in this area anymore, but anyway, I digress. I mean, I think uh, the higher initially um Look, I thought Matt Rule would have been a gamble of a hire. I think Joe Judge is a gamble of a hire. I think uh, 
you know, a commitment of seven years of, of what Matt Rule got was enormous. And I just, you know, I can understand why the Giants didn't want to go down that road. It, you know, just comparing the two coaches, I think they're both gambles. The, no, the notion that Matt Rule is going to be a sure thing success for the Giants uh, is crazy. I don't think he's a sure thing success coach. I think he could be. Uh, I don't think Mike McCarthy would have been a good hire. I really thought that if they could have made something work with Josh McDaniels or Eric Bieniemy, those would have been really good hires. Uh, I think uh, Bieniemy kind of got uh, the short end here uh, of the stick in this hiring cycle. I think he'll be a really good head coach. I really do, and I, I don't understand here uh, the the you know, Kevin Stefanski in, in, in Cleveland, I get it. I get it. You know, he wants, he's going to play along with what they want him to do. And he's going to be a MLB manager type, you know, role where he's more of a puppet. And, and I get it. If that's how they want to win. Maybe that'll work. But, um, I don't know. I mean, the, look, it's, it's a risky hire. It's yeah. a risky hire. It definitely is a risky hire, Joe judge. And, uh, you know, we'll see. So th- there's that. And then the impressions of the press conference. Sure. Like I said, I was just joking about the, you know, the blue collar stuff, but it's what, it's what you expect. He was fine. Yeah. He was fine. Like, unless he got up there and his pants fell down, and I joked about that, you know, with leading in the press conference, th- you know, that's when you say he lost the press conference. Yeah, I, I don't guess think there was any it. winning or losing yeah, of any press fine. conference, but I, it just, it you know, fine. you and I kind of track social media during yeah. these things, and I was tweeting a little bit. I know you were interacting with people on the tech service, and just watching how Giants fans were reacting, people were saying they were sitting in their corner office or in their cubicle and they wanted to jump through their monitor to play for this guy. That goes back to the the persona of the football team that he was selling, which, and more power to him. That's what you do. You're introducing yourself as a relative unknown. He was on track to become the Mississippi State head coach had he not been hired by the Giants. So in that, case, in that perspective, I think that he quote-unquote won the press conference because he got people to buy in and it's going to be fascinating to see if he can get his players to buy in with the physical practices, the tackling to the ground, wearing pads, all of those things that have kind of kind of gone out of style in the NFL and that the NFLPA, quite frankly, has kind of put the kibosh to in recent years, trying to do some of those things. He's going to have to win immediately, Daryl. If you're going to win over your players in the NFL, um, you're going to have to show almost instant results of these guys going through the rigors of these practices yeah. if they're going to stay bought in and stay invested to what he's trying to do. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Steve Pulley raises a good point in his column coming out of that, that it, he really, Joe Judge did sound like a young Tom Coughlin there with some of the things. And will that style work in today's NFL? We'll see. I think ultimately a lot of this all depends on what the roster looks like. I mean, not a lot of coaches could have won a lot of games with the Giants last year. The roster was a mess. They need to fix it. That falls on Dave Gettleman, and he obviously needs to put his head together with Joe Judge and figure out what they want from a scheme perspective, particularly on defense, where they were really weak last year. So what does the new defense coordinator, Patrick Graham, want to do scheme-wise, and, and and where do guys fit, and where do they prioritize their needs? I mean, it's pretty obvious they need a pass rusher. So if the Giants don't don't win this offseason and, and, and make some successful acquisitions in the draft and free agency – None of this matters with how Joe right. Judge wants to approach this thing. Um, so I think that's worth remembering. And they have all the resources to quote unquote win the offseason because you're picking fourth overall. You enter as of today with $67.5 million in cap space. That's before you potentially move on from or restructure Nate Solder's deal. That's before you potentially move on from someone like Antoine Bethay or someone like inside linebacker Alec Ogletree, two pretty expensive contracts that the level of play didn't match up to the financial investment that you 
could see both of those guys moving on. And I think it's an easy transition there, Daryl, to kind of move the conversation from the football team that Joe Judge wants to have based on personnel, which it remains to be seen what Dave Gettleman does with all of those resources. Um, I'd make the case that given the crop of free agents that's coming out and where they're picking in this class, that the roster should look substantially different and more talented when they take the field in July versus the team that walked off the field at the end of December. We'll see if that comes to fruition. But just to you know, zero in on the staff, you brought up Patrick Graham. I think it's fascinating that he called the plays in Miami on what was one of the worst defenses, if not the worst defense, in the league last year. And it's going to be a front that uses multiple, in all likelihood, 4-3 and 3-4 concepts. But if you look around championship weekend, you know, you and I talked about this off the air. These teams don't blitz a lot. The Titans pressure the quarterback with their front four. The the uh, Houston, the Tennessee, excuse me, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, it's all about their defensive line generating pressure on the quarterback. And that's one area with Dexter Lawrence. And if they bring back Leonard Williams, you have some pieces there that if you add an edge rusher, you might be able to take a step forward as a defense. I know they talk about the Giants do not wanting to put too much stock in free agency and just throwing money at, at needs. I get it. I get it. But you're not getting Chase Young, most likely. You have to get a pass rusher. Are you going to spend big for Jadavian Clowney? That is going to be the big question for Dave Gettleman this offseason because as much as you want to talk about, yes, uh, spending big in free agency doesn't typically work. You have to build through the draft. I get it. But at some point, you have to fit, You have to use this cap space, right? You have, you have all this cap space. you got to use it. You have a pressing need. You have a quarterback, a young developing quarterback who is on a relatively cheap contract. You want to build around him like the Eagles did with Carson and Wentz when he was on a cheap deal and bring in talent uh, and, and and the Rams with golf yeah, as well. They make did a the push. same thing. Make a push while your quarterback is not hogging up so much of your cap space. So I think, uh, you know, this is going to be an enormous offseason for them to, particularly uh, to address the pass rusher thing. Patrick Graham, we'll see. I mean, this. I think you know, it's obvious. I mean, when you hire a special te- a 38 year old special teams coordinator, the the co- the coordinator roles that he hires for are critical because he's not calling the defensive plays, not calling the offensive plays. So there is going to be a, a big uh, emphasis on 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 these guys, Patrick Graham, for instance, doing it on their on their own. Right. I mean, he he had Brian Flores in Miami. And Graham did call the plays, but he had a defensive-minded head coach who had been a defensive coordinator in Flores. He doesn't have that now. No. Graham is really on his own to make this defense work and to make this group better than James Betcher could. And that's a very similar structure to what the Eagles had with Doug Peterson when they brought in Jim Schwartz as the defensive coordinator, but Frank Reich as the offensive coordinator. Reich had previously called plays in San Diego. He had, you know, been around the NFL. You look at bringing in Patrick Graham, uh, sure, he called plays last year, but similar to Doug Peterson and Frank Reich collaborating the night before games and scripting the first 15, I'm sure there were some of those conversations yeah. going on with Flores and Graham. And, and that's something that with the offensive coordinator hire, now the name that's been tossed around and bandied about a lot in the last couple of days as we tape this on a Friday is Jason Garrett. And Jason Garrett hasn't called plays for many years in Dallas. And I think that there are a lot of upsides to hiring someone like Jason Garrett because I think that he has the temperament to understand this market. I think that what you look what he did with Dak Prescott and before that Tony Romo, that that's a great influence on Daniel Jones. But more importantly, Daryl, you brought you brought up the point that you want to have that experienced coordinator around a first-time rookie head coach, particularly one that doesn't have a strong offensive or defensive background. And I think that when you look at Jason Garrett, he certainly fills that role. 
look, I, who who would be better? Like, who would could they possibly get who would be a better hire for anyone who's pushing back against? Uh, and I, you know, a, fr- a friend of mine I was texting, and he he's a Giants fan. He said anybody but Jason Garrett. I was like, who? Who? Who's right. your answer? Who? You know, like you lost out on Joe Brady, and and I think that there's yeah. going to be a, a lot of what ifs about the Matt Rule hire and how those negotiations came to pass. And I know the Giants fans are right now fully on board on Joe Judge, and rightfully so. He's a first time head coach. He's the new head coach. It's a new era and all that. So I, I understand and can appreciate the excitement, but it's hard not to look at what they're doing in Charlotte in terms of bringing in Rule, Rule bringing in his his top analytics and technology lieutenant from Baylor, where they really emphasized all of those advanced stats when they were recruiting and building their teams, and then going in and getting Joe Brady, who Joe Burrow's numbers are off the charts, and you never get that kind of production in the NFL, but he was the passing game coordinator for one of the more prolific offenses in recent college football history. I think there's a lot of excitement around the Carolina Panthers in that with the Giants and Judge, if you can come away with Garrett, I think you can kind of feel excited about some of those things. But if they miss out on Garrett, you're right, though. The landscape is kind of barren in terms of potential offensive coordinator hires. They were never going to get the Bills to agree to let Brian Dable go for a lateral move. I don't even understand why the Giants bothered requesting an interview. I guess it can't hurt to ask, but what do they expect? Nor should the nor should the Bills let him come interview. So Garrett would be, like you said, a guy who could provide a lot of guidance for Joe Judge. Yes, it's been since 2013 that he has called that he called plays in Dallas. So uh, that's you know certainly going to be a question mark. But if Garrett is willing to check his ego and work for a, a 38-year-old rookie head coach and a guy who really the Giants preferred over Garrett. They requested an interview with Garrett for their head coaching job. Never came to pass. The interview didn't so be, you know, because they like Joe Judge. But uh, if Garrett can check his ego, remember too, it, this is a desirable offensive coordinator job. You know, you're going to have oh, for sure. a powerful offensive coordinator working with, again, because you're head coach special teams background. You're going to be a powerful offensive coordinator working with a promising young quarterback. And the other thing is, if Jason Garrett, he's not going to go into the poorhouse if he doesn't work this year, but if he wants to make money this year, he's got to go into either TV or coaching. Right. Or I, I don't know, what else is he going to do? Work at a landscaping service? He's <laughs> so like he, it, Or he can just do nothing and he's fine financially, but his contract expired. His contract expired on the 14th of January, so he is not going to be able to sit around like Ben McAdoo did, did and milk a buyout. And I'll go one step further there. You you brought up Daniel Jones in passing, but it's obvious that that Joe Judge is not going to be working one-on-one developing Daniel Jones. He's right. just not equipped as a coach to do that. They brought in Jerry Shablinski from the Patriots, uh, and he was down on the Miami staff last year. And, and I think he's done a really nice job. And Jimmy Garoppolo speaks very highly of him, as does Jacoby Brissett, about his dedication to young quarterbacks. But if Jason Garrett is the offensive coordinator, Jerry Shablinski is basically just the translator of the offense to Daniel sure. Jones. And it's Jason Garrett who gets the credit and probably will be most hands-on with Daniel Jones' development. And if you come in and let's say the Giants go 9-7 and next year and Daniel Jones passes for 3,400 yards with 28 touchdowns and 9 picks, Jason Garrett's going to be in hot demand for a head coaching job. And let's go the other way. If this goes poorly, if Joe Judge comes out and goes three and thirteen and looks over his head and they start four and twelve or four and and nine the following year, Jason Garrett very well might be the head coach in waiting here. So whether it's immediate financial gain by getting back into coaching or setting yourself up with a strong year around Daniel Jones for the next job or even being the head coach in waiting if things don't go well with Judge, this is a very attractive opportunity 
for Jason Garrett, not to mention the wealth of talent with Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, and maybe Golden Tate. There are a lot of weapons that you can work with on this offense. Sure. I mean, it's not a fully formed unit. They have to fix their offensive line, of course, but I think this is a it's an attractive job for both sides. I mean, it's attractive for Jason Garrett to come here, and I think it's attractive for the Giants to get him for multiple reasons, one of which, again, is who else are you going to get? I think one interesting point that was brought up by Calvin Watkins, uh, the Dallas Morning News, I did a Q&A with him, sort of a get-to-know Jason Garrett, maybe what you don't know about him. I asked him in the Q&A. Calvin used to cover the Jets, great guy, and uh, he was really helpful with his Q&A. If it's on the site, if you want to check it out. I said, how directly did Garrett work with Dak Prescott? You know, how much credit does he deserve for Prescott's development? And his answer was that, you know, you probably need to give Scott Linehan, Wade Wilson, and John Kidd more credit for developing Prescott, and that Garrett was more of a CEO, CEO coach by the time Prescott took over. So I think that's an interesting point there from Calvin uh, that he brought up, and he raised a few more interesting ones if you want to check out the Q&A there on the site. It's uh, you know under the headline of what, what you don't really know about Jason Garrett, who could be the next uh, Giants coordinator. That's the gist of the headline, I guess. So, um, yeah, I think it, it would be a fascinating hire. I think it would be really fascinating. And, and look, it's not a lock to happen. None of these things are locks, but a lock to work, I should say. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it would be a reasonably safe hire. You're hiring, hiring a guy with a track record yep. here. Um, so I think that that's something that I think Giants fans, even the ones who did not want the, the team to get anywhere near Jason Garrett as a head coaching candidate, I think some of those people are a little bit more on board with the offensive coordinator possibility. Yeah, and I think that one other name to throw out there, because we keep asking ourselves, who but Garrett? Who else is out there? Who could be another candidate? Um, Bill Callahan is a guy that I think you have to keep in mind. Uh, called the plays the interim head coach of Washington after they moved on from Jay Gruden earlier in the year. Jay Gruden probably on some short, sort of short list as well, if for no other reason he liked Daniel Jones coming out of the draft. Uh, but Callahan's a guy, veteran coach, probably one of the top two or three best offensive line coaches in the league, someone to keep an eye on there. Uh, but it's certainly going to be very interesting to see what happens with this hire uh, because you can make a case it's the most important move the Giants are going to make because this is who will be responsible for developing Daniel Jones. And nothing matters more than Jones's progression to become a franchise quarterback to the Giants' upward trajectory. It's just as important as the head coaching hire, really. It really is. I, I I think that's a great point. I mean, this is a critical hire. I mean, I think we're stating the obvious, but it's it's you can't emphasize it enough. Um, so if you look at you know the leaps that quarterbacks have been able to make when they've had capable head coaches, Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson, uh, Jared Goff and and uh, Sean, Sean McVay. McVay. So. Yeah, I it really matters. I mean, it's the most important position in the sport, and you're talking about the guy who's going to be dealing most directly with developing Daniel Jones and and making a transition from one offense to another. I, I mean, I don't think they're going to hire Mike Shula, I, I, and I think they would be crazy if they did. Mike Shula didn't even call the plays last year uh, under Pat Shermer, and— there's even some speculation that he could wind up in Denver as the quarterback coach under Shermer. So there's some yeah. speculation that I think that's actually a better fit for Mike Shula because if he's not going to call plays and he hasn't called plays here, yes, continuity of system and scheme is great for Daniel Jones and all of that. Uh, but if you're not calling plays previously, I don't know that you should be entrusted with calling them here, especially if you have the chance to go and work for Shermer, who obviously the two share an affinity for one another and you get to work with another young quarterback in Drew Locke. Uh, I think it's just a better fit for Shula to wind up as the quarterback coach uh, in Denver than it is to be the offensive coordinator for the Giants. Sure. And, and you know, I think ultimately, you know, system continuity is a nice thing to talk about. But if a quarterback is good, he's going to be fine. 
he's going to be fine. You know, if a guy's good enough, him changing offenses from year one to year two, if he's good enough and smart enough, it's not going to matter. That's the bottom line. Either the guy is going to have it or and have those abilities that are there that the coach can bring out, uh, or he doesn't, or he doesn't. And yeah. I don't think I don't think the fact that he goes into a new offense in year two and if he struggles, it's not going to be because of the, of the new offense per se. It might be because the coach is, isn't very good, uh, but I don't think it's going to be because of the system change. Before we jump into the questions from the tech service, uh, just you know, this kind of stuck out to me that day, and I've kind of been marinating on it. I know it's probably much ado about nothing, but Daryl, what do you make of Joe Judge declining to answer any sort of question about Daniel Jones? And then you have the reporting from Peter King that comes out earlier this week that says that he came into the interview without notes and that Daniel Jones wasn't even a focal point of the interview with Dave Gettleman and John Mara. Uh, maybe this is just my take on it, but I would think with a second-year quarterback you drafted number six overall in 2019, that Daniel Jones will be a significant conversation within that interview, and that if you're Joe Judge, sure, you don't want to talk about all 53 players on the roster. I think you would have to know enough about Jones to at least throw some confidence or or a, a statement of confidence behind Jones in that press conference, especially when you're picking fourth overall? It was uh, a little odd. Sure. I think the fact that he didn't come in with notes, they really liked that, um, you know, because he, he really was prepared. They felt like he was prepared and didn't need notes. But the weird thing was, yeah, not talking so much about Daniel Jones in the interview. Okay, that's a little odd. And then, you know, he could have just said something, you know, token in the press conference. It was weird that he was evasive about it and that he wanted to, like, take a deeper look at him. Well, I feel like, you know, you probably should take a, a you know, a significant look at the guy before you, t- you know, go in for your interview, I guess. Um, I think ultimately he was going to take the job if, you know. It was either anyone, here or Mississippi State. Yeah, it was one of the two. If anyone was the quarterback, he was probably taking the Giants job. I mean, like, let, let's be honest. I mean, they, this was a great opportunity for Joe Judge. He wasn't going to take he, – he, he wasn't going to be picky here. Right. If the Giants had a, a crummy quarterback and they were going to have to wait a year or two to draft a quarterback, uh, he was taking the job anyway. So – I don't think the fact that, you know, I don't think he needed to study Daniel Jones to know, like, oh, I'm going to take the job or not take the job. But, uh, yeah. I think and here's how much the Giants wanted him. him. And here's how much the Giants wanted him. In Mississippi, it's, it's state law that Mississippi state employees can't have longer than four-year contracts. Interesting. The Giants gave him five. Yeah. So so they obviously sweetened the pot on Joe Judge to bring him here. Yeah, and that's pretty standard con- contract. Five years is what, it was what uh, Mike McCarthy got, Ron Rivera. It's what Pat Shermer got. Uh, so... You know, uh, seven years is a little crazy, but um, with with Matt Rule, but yeah, I think as you look at it, um, I I I think that uh, yeah, I, Joe Judge should well should have more to say about Daniel Jones next time we talk to him. Like he can't he can't come out and say oh, I still need to study more. It's like no, all right, so come up with something to say about the quarterback the next time we talk to you. Which is again, I'm think we're nitpicking a little bit, but um, you know, not to say this this means he's going to be a terrible coach or anything. But but yeah, I thought there was a, the one curious thing about it was that he was a little evasive about Jones. Let's hear him talk a little bit more about him next time he speaks, whenever that is. Uh, have a little bit of something to say. And I think at that point, he'll have a better idea of what the system will look like, presumably, uh, because he will have an offensive coordinator. We'll see how that all comes together. All right, Doug, let's jump into the tech service. And of course, you can sign up and subscribe at nj.com slash text. Uh, I'll throw this one to you. If the Giants make the playoffs in 2020, wouldn't the narrative on Dave Gettleman change dramatically? 
Yeah. I mean, (laughs) like, I'm not trying to be like, you know, dismissive. Of course. Oh my gosh. Like it's all about results. Of course it would. I mean, the narrative is not like something that exists. It's, it's, we're talking about things that happen. Correct. Like we're talking about results. We're not talking about like, uh, it's not a, it's not a a formulated nebulous thing. It's like the narrative is based on the fact that they either win or don't win games, the fact that his draft picks do or don't work out, the fact that his free agent signings do or don't work out, like, that's what it is. So if the Giants are good in 2020, that probably means Daniel Jones is good. That probably means he Joe made, Judge was the right hire. That probably, yeah, that probably means that he made, a, you know, some good acquisitions or that the draft picks developed. So sure, sure, it would change, as mm-hmm. it should. No, I agree. And it's a results-oriented business. To, and as far as what we do, it's, you know, our observations and our analysis is rooted in what happens on the field. And, you know, if, if they continue to make questionable free agent signings, I think it's fair to question Dave Gettleman and their, their process and how they evaluate players. But if Dexter Lawrence develops into an all-pro in his second year and Daniel Jones goes to a Pro Bowl in his second year and, you know, Saquon Barkley returns to form and they make the postseason, then yes, obviously we're going to look at Dave Gettleman a little bit differently. No doubt, as we should. I think, so the next question, uh, let's see, uh, there's a couple ones about OC here. Uh, someone says, is, is Jason Garrett going to be the offensive coordinator? We'll see. I, don't, I mean, I think that would be, we would address would be a great hire. Um, the second question is, with all the extra cap space we have this year, is it possible, this is interesting, uh, to repair both the offensive and defensive lines uh, good enough for us, uh, the Giants, to be contenders in 2020? I don't think you need to necessarily do a lot of work on the defensive line, but um, I think, yeah, you have to figure out what you're going to do with Leonard Williams' spot. Are you going to resign him or are you going to are you going to look elsewhere? So there needs to be a, an addition of an edge rusher. I don't know if you can patch up your offensive tackle spots or should nor should you in free agency right I don't think you're going to be able to go out and sign uh, a new right tackle and left tackle because you're kind of tied to Nate Solder a little bit contractually and you saw how that worked out last time with throwing money at the position better I think to draft an offensive tackle and develop there I agree there's one name along the offensive line that I think maybe people should keep an eye on and they're going to get a chance to watch him on Sunday and that's Jack Conklin and I doubt that the Titans are going to let him into free agency but if he's available there's a guy who is a former Former number one pick. He's tremendous in, in the running game. A little bit of a, not not a great pass blocker, but, you know, he's, what, 25 years old, so he's young enough to be a building block on that side of the offensive line alongside Will Hernandez, and you can move Nate Solder over to the right side next to Kevin Zeitler. I think that's a name to keep an eye on. And on the defensive side, Darrell, I'd probably let Leonard Williams walk because I don't want that fourth-round pick to become a third-round pick. And I'd go out and I'd throw all the money I can at either Eric Armstead or uh, Yannick Ngankwe. I would, if either one of those two guys, or Clowney, if I can get one of those three guys, and there's a a strong possibility that Ngankwe gets tagged by the Jaguars, who knows what happens with Eric Armstead, the Niners might tag him. But if either one of those guys are available, I would rather sign one of those two, keep my third round pick, give up the fourth round pick, and let Leonard Williams walk. Because I think either one of those guys are better players and it costs no draft capital to bring them in as compared to Leonard Williams. Yeah, and you have to kind of swallow your pride in the Leonard Williams trade. It was a bad trade. So, you know, that, that that's what you'd have to do moving forward. Uh, cap space, sign Dalvin Tomlinson to an extension uh, and sign WMs if it's affordable. Go defense. Williams. Williams. Leonard Williams, if it's affordable, go defense. Uh, middle linebacker and safety if feasible draft high. I guess that's the input from somebody I think, wanting to play GM. Well, yeah, and, and I think uh, – 
middle linebacker is an interesting one. We talked about Alec Ogletree like he, likely being cut. What do they do there? They're Blake have, Martinez is a name that I would keep an eye right, on. Right, because Ryan Connolly, you didn't get to see enough of Ryan Connolly uh, in 2019 because of the knee injury to know that he's going to be a sure thing replacement there. They could draft for the position, but Dylan Moses is going back to Alabama, so, I mean, he would have been a, a prominent guy, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think you know the, that cuts into the pool of inside linebackers a little bit. Do you want to have a young middle linebacker calling the plays and an already young defense, or would you rather go out and get a free agent? So, um, let's see, another question here. Bah, 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 bah. Uh, someone says, um, we'll get them and trade down. Um, if Tua checks, you know, uh, the Alabama quarterback checks out, the, the Giants may have a great opportunity to get picks without going below the Dolphins or Jaguars. Interesting uh, there because – Obviously, that would be another a quarterback option for quarterback needy teams looking to move up uh, above other quarterback needy teams. So, you know, the, we saw um, you know the Colts and the and the and the Jets do the deal with Sam for Sam Darnold's spot yeah. a couple of years ago. So, I think you know, Dave Gettleman should absolutely consider trading down, especially because it looks like you know he's not going to be in position to get Chase Young, and it would be crazy to trade up for Chase Young. And so, you know, but he hasn't ever traded down. Is no, that true? He's, he's never, never traded, traded down, down in his entire career. Which is That's crazy. Yeah, and, and I think that if but you're you sitting there, four, draft picks is a rebuildable team, right? Totally agree, and, and that's what we were sold during Dave Gettleman's year-end press conference about how important building through the draft is. Even though he, you know, mortgaged a potential third-round pick for the chance to sign Leonard Williams, which we've you know talked about ad nauseum here. Uh, but but if you're sitting there at number four and your target is someone like Isaiah Simmons, the inside linebacker out of Clemson, a terrific player, probably a game changer. I don't know that he's worth the number four overall pick in the draft, but I could certainly see taking him at six or seven if you move back and you pick up a couple of extra picks and maybe a pick next year. Uh, so, so yeah, if you're Dave Gettleman, I think that this is the time because none of these offensive tackles look like they're going to be Orlando Pace or a, a, a Willie Rowe for a future Hall of Famer <laughs> sitting there. <laughs> But And I don't know that it's worthwhile to draft an inside linebacker fourth overall. So, yes, if the right offer presents itself, I think it's time that you pick up and you take the hot pretzel and the hot dog and you do the deal. What does the hot pretzel and the hot dog have to do? That's what he turned down for Saquon Barkley. Oh, that was a line? I guess I wasn't You you weren't covering the Giants. The line was (laughs) they they unplugged the phones in the war room because what are you going to get? You're going to get a a hot dog and a hot pretzel in exchange for Saquon Barkley. I will say this about Dave Gettleman. I mean, his colloquialisms are just – he's an amusing guy. But, you know, we'll see if he can actually be a competent GM of the Giants. I had not – honestly, I'd never heard that line. It's a great line. That's really, really good. Good. Uh, I think the last question here that we have, and thanks for everybody who chimed in. Someone asked, which coaching positions still need to be filled? Okay, so let's see. On the, uh, they need to fill offensive line coach yep. and their coordinator, offensive coordinator. They, they need have a running backs coach. Running backs, tight ends. Uh, I suppose there's a possibility that some of those guys could be retained. The tight ends coach, Linda Wells, went to uh, the Cowboys. Right? Great hire by them. So, uh, so what? Tight ends, offensive line, offensive coordinator. They have a quarterbacks coach. They need a running backs coach. That covers it. Wide receivers coaches retained at Tyke Tolbert. Yep. Uh, defensive side of the ball, they need. They have a coordinator, obviously. They need uh, to figure out a linebackers coach. They need to get a, a secondary coach uh, and and figure out how they're going to do that. Um, they have a D line coach, so yeah, they, they, there are many coach. more jobs that need to be filled yeah, than the ones that are filled. 
Yeah, I think they're a little less than halfway there, yeah. maybe, but because they have a special teams coordinator and Thomas McGahee was retained, their defense coordinator, Patrick Graham, D-line coach, quarterbacks coach. Yep, and is again, that, Jerry Sobrinski, yeah. and, and it's interesting, we're taping this on a Friday, uh, so you get to listen to this Friday afternoon or over the weekend, Senior Bowl is next week, and I'll be yeah. in Mobile, Alabama, and it's interesting because the longer this with Jason Garrett goes on without there being a deal, the more I wonder if they're going to make these hires and hire Garrett or someone else down there during uh, Senior Bowl week. Daryl, any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, I think that'll be interesting. Senior Bowl, not only a chance, that's the next event here coming up. Um, I know we're talking a lot about uh, free agency draft and you know, looking ahead to the combine, but the Senior Bowl is an interesting one, a chance to not only evaluate prospects, but also a chance for Joe Judge to kind of get on the same page with the scouting staff and uh, to, to, to look. They're not going to have a full staff by the time they go to the Senior Bowl. It's a chance for him to talk to potential assistant coaches. It's yep. really uh, like a job fair type Like a thing convention too. almost. So it's a, it's a multi-pronged uh, thing down there in Mobile and uh, you'll be there working the thing and eating good seafood. Yeah, it should be a good week and uh, we'll be back soon to break it all down and discuss our thoughts on the, the potential hires, the new hires, preview for your agency and all of that. Again, follow the show on Twitter. He's at Daryl Slater. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. Uh, of course, we'd love if you could subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store to the Talk is cheap podcast and subscribe at nj.com slash text for the Giants extra text service. For Daryl Slater, I'm Matt Lombardo. We'll talk to you soon right here on nj.com. Thanks.